Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Housing affordability is getting even worse here in Vancouver, and we're going to talk about it at length in this video. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Vancouver Life Real Estate Podcast and YouTube channel. Dan and Ryan here. Real quick, if you are a realtor and you're listening to this, we are with eXp Realty, and as top producers, we are giving back to our community and helping train realtors one-on-one. We've seen incredible results with our team, and we want to provide these to you as well. If that's something you'd love to chat about or learn more about, you can check out www.level10agent.com or just click on our link below for a 30-minute call. We'll explore your business and see how we can help. Okay, let's get into this week's episode right away. So off the top, we're talking about affordability, and this is largely in regards, of course, to mortgages and, and what people can afford to buy and obviously make payments on. Mortgage rates rose again just last week, and we now have the variable rate mortgage. It's basically at the highest it's been since 2019, sitting at 5.5%. Variable is now surpassed fixed, which we talked about just a couple weeks ago. They had converged. Now variable is higher. Fixed is sitting about 5.1% here with, again, variable at 5.5%. The typical payments for a home, and, and what we mean by that, if you buy a typical home in Canada, no less, not just Vancouver, but Canada, um, you're looking at $3,270 per month. That's 40000 almost 40000 a year of your income post-tax is now going to a typical mortgage, just an immense amount of money. This is a whopping 50% higher than it was just one year ago. But we're, those payments, we're talking at 90% higher than they were at the depths of the low rates, meaning around January of 2021, when they were just $1,700 for that mm. same home. We're talking oh, almost yeah. double in that time. That is uh, not great news. <laughs> at the end of the day, what really blows my mind here, Dan, um, the payments for your typical home they've just they've skyrocketed to a point that you know it 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 almost doesn't make sense i don't know why somebody would go out in today's environment and really get something longer than maybe a one or two year mortgage at this rate you know um and i think as we'll talk about it a little bit later the cpi data coming out here today is starting to show some relief and so as we continue down that path of relief I'm hoping that these payments will, uh, I don't know, reduce or come down to some degree here because they are astronomical. Um, and let's talk about population because, honestly speaking, the vast majority of new immigrants or permanent residents that end up here in Canada, uh, they will be renting, right, before they buy. Uh, and honestly, when you look at where we are today versus where we're going to be in 2025, it's not news that the Liberal government is taking their uh, immigration targets up to 500,000 people. Um, 
but they tend to blow past these targets. And uh, they've, they've done it already this year. Net immigration is already at 485,000 people over the last four quarters. Um, for some comparison here, um, or context, I should say, the target for 2022 was 430,000, right? So they have blown by that for 50,000 people more. Um, and, you know, why why are they continually raising the the numbers here, Dan? Is that because they don't want to look bad, or is it because is it because they actually need that level of people in the economy to service it the way it's growing? Right? These numbers do not include students and foreign workers, which is at least another two hundred thousand people. That puts us at an all time high. Uh, in, in in fact, it's we're talking nearly seven hundred thousand people. Right, a major source of the increased rental demand, and uh, this is uh, resulting in all-time high rental rates. This is where people end up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you've got you know six to seven hundred thousand people coming into the country, and like Ryan mentioned, the vast majority, especially those last two hundred, obviously are rentals, and and that's why we're sitting at a place where we are today, where not only is rental rates at an all time high, but they increased just last month. It does look though that rental rates are peaking right now. They haven't come off quite yet, but they do appear to be peaking. We'll see how much they come down because again, on the other side of this is where are the new homes and in this high interest rate environment that we are in and in a low demand landscape for, for properties for resale, um, we've got construction is being pulled back on. Developers are not building as much as they were just a year ago. For example, new building permits fell 16% just last month. That is, and again, I'm talking nationally here, that is the second largest decline on record, um, although the records only go back to 2011, but still, it's a pretty substantial number. Affordability due to these high rates is basically determining the market for the foreseeable future. Um, it does look like, though, and this is something we've been talking about for months now, is that a supply crisis is still on the other side of this. And, and what do we mean by that? It means when inflation and high interest rates are not the sort of headline and the hot topic anymore, it will come back to housing and the lack thereof. There was an extreme lack of housing just six, seven months ago, a year ago, almost now before inflation was the headline and it still exists today. And of course we are now hitting new immigration targets and records yet we have construction pulling back. It's simple supply and demand economics, and we are going to see another housing crisis on the other side of this, even though that might be 12 to 18 months away. You can all but guarantee it because the numbers are showing that very strongly. You know, Dan, I was thinking about this the other day, right? And we, we kind of touched on it on our last podcast, how the people really that get hurt the most in a cycle like this are home builders, people who are carrying inventory that they're building for uh, arguably a housing crisis that in any other market would be uh, a lower risk um, venture. What I can't seem to understand is why hasn't the government provided any kind of realistic bridge or, or an exemption for home builders when it comes to credit? I mean, if we've got such a 
terrible housing crisis. And on the other side of this, we're just not going to have any supply. Then builders need a break through these rate hike cycles in order to continue to bring inventory to the market because they're the ones that are going to get slaughtered. They're the ones that are, if they're carrying five, 10, $20 million worth of inventory and they can't, they can't carry that through this time frame, then they're going to slash their prices. But it doesn't help on the other side, the, the resale side of, you know, inventory. They're not coming to market because they've locked in at super low rates. So we end up with this dichotomy of no inventory and builders pull back, developers pull back. And yes, it guards price point. But at the end of the day, if we need homes, the government needs to sort out this crisis and allow for some sort of construction to take place with financing that is maybe delayed or, or, or if they hit certain numbers, then, you know, they're exempt from a certain interest rate. I'm not sure what it is, but there's a solution here. Ken Sim to the rescue, right? (laughs) I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. So let's take a look at Toronto as well. Uh, Toronto sales are down nearly 50% year over year in a metropolis of 6 million people right? This is the lowest demand since the 90s, and there's still no real sign of panic selling. Uh, Again, touched on the rates as a reason for that. Listings are down 12% year over year. Uh, This is a new decade low. Inventory is up a massive 68% in Toronto, although that is down from numbers we've heard earlier in the year, which were as high as 89%. Uh, So despite two quarters of very weak demand, active listings are still below normal levels. This is the third lowest in the last 10 years. We've had the most rapid rise in interest rates in 30 years and the lowest level of sales in 20 years. And yet single family homes across the GTA are only at 2.3 months of inventory. And that that is a ratio that we look at in order to judge whether or not home prices will continue to, to, to move uh, in significant fashion. Right? Quite similar story-ish to what we're seeing here in, in Vancouver. And if you missed that, we did a deep dive into the October numbers just last week. So definitely check out that release. Now I want to get into a little bit more about Toronto here and talk about the pricing because uh, it does relate to Vancouver as well in a very dynamic way. Last month, the HPI, the Home Price Index, Home price index, excuse me, in Toronto dropped 1.1%. Uh, in Vancouver, that was 0.6. Toronto home prices are now down 18% since the peak. And if you remember from last week, Vancouver is down 10%, uh, almost half. The median, though, in Toronto is down a whopping 25%. Oof. The median house price in Toronto is down 25%. In Vancouver, the median house price is down 8 percent. So let's think about what just happened over the last two years. We saw an almost identical home price rise in Toronto as we did in Vancouver. They both went up, let's call it 30 to 40 percent. I think our our the GTA and GVRDs finished in the mid-30s. Now we're seeing Toronto falling off a cliff and Vancouver once again is showing its resiliency And it is showing it will not drop in price to the degree that other parts of the country, even Toronto, let's just call them our sister or brother or neighbor, whatever it is, because we act so much like them on the way up, but not on the way down. Mm. Very, very interesting to watch this. The um, 
The six-month price drop, this 18% that I just touched on in Toronto, is the steepest decline in the HPI scene to, uh, dating back to 2005. This is, of course, when the data started um, being calculated and tracked. And here's, uh, here's one that we have not heard in a while, is that year-over-year home prices in Toronto are negative for the first time in four years. First time since 2018. Mm-hmm. It's taken that long. So even though things are down 18%, it's the first time in four years that year-over-year prices are actually down, and they've just clipped under, I think, like 1%. Now, it'll be really interesting to see how long that, that stays for. I, you know, As we continue to get less and less inflation, um, the economy cools, we're going to start to see rates stabilize. I don't think it'll last very long. Um, anyhow, let's talk investment condos here. Uh, investors are, they're quiet as typical condos bought at 80% loan to value would have a $1,200 per month cash flow, right? Negative cash flow. Sorry. Negative cash flow. That's $500 negative, even after principal repayments added in. And this is affecting pre-sale projects or sales are now down 88 percent year over year again this is what i'm talking about people that are carrying inventory right a whopping 189 projects in development reported zero sales zero during the entire third quarter that is terrifying but honestly not super surprising but terrifying it goes to show the percentage of the level of investors that are buying the pre-sale properties, especially in an area like Toronto, where those numbers are from, because that's who's going to invest in something where your your ROI is that negative. It, just, it just doesn't make sense. You wouldn't. So let's compare that to Vancouver, uh, because we obviously have a, a, a big pre-sale market here as well. So while it is down, it is not down to the degree of Toronto. Um, sales for pre-sales here in GVRD are down about 72% from last year, um, with a small caveat. That's down 72% from the all-time high that was this time last year. So things were absolutely booming, and that's not to sway the numbers in any way, but it's just for a, a comparison that we had. We're an all-time high last year, and we're down 72% this year. That still means there was over 1,500 units sold just last quarter. So we're still seeing an average of about 500 pre-sale properties selling per month right now here in GVRD. The thing is, though, anyone who bought a pre-sale... During the last two years, during the time of, of basically super low rates and the promises of extended low rates <laughs> that have a property that's going to be completing any time from you know, today over the next three to six months, they may be in for a bit of a surprise. Because, of course, if they bought it during that time, their affordability, their purchasing power was about 30 to 40% more than it is today. Could you imagine having a promise not locking in a rate because of course a lot of banks will give you a three-year rate hold on a pre-sale and if they did not and they were waiting or just weren't aware of such long rate holds were possible yeah it might be a little bit scary right now because of course some of these people may try to assign those if you can't complete on a property sometimes you can try to assign it if the developer lets you mm-hmm. and pro tip just because the project started with assignments allowed does not mean it will end that way it is at the developer's discretion. So if they decide that, nope, we're not allowing any assignments and you are forced to close, 
you're going to have to get pretty creative. Now, not, not to mention that they often charge you if you want to do that as well. So any profit margin you were hoping to take out can be squeezed again by the developer. Yeah, and, and so we're ultimately seeing more and more assignments are poking out right now being sold at a loss. Because, of course, if you can't complete and you're, you've got, let's call it, 150000 in deposit tied up, would you rather sell at a $30,000, $40,000 loss or not be able to complete, maybe face litigation, plus you've lost your plus plus. So yeah, you can understand it's the lesser of two evils. It's not the norm, but there are a few out there. And again, uh, depending on how long rates stay high, this trend may become a little bit more common. On the flip side to that, uh, if, you, if you were savvy with your cash, this could be an opportunity to be picking up property at a heavily discounted rate. Right? So, yeah, on one side, uh, you, you're... You've got a, a side of the market that is probably going to have trouble completing. And on the other side, you've got investors that savvy investors who've been waiting on the sidelines. They may pounce, but they're not going to be at numbers that people want to see. I can tell you that. You know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll share a quick story on just that. So the last downturn, <coughs> the last down cycle, that bottom around 2019, had a client pick up an assignment uh, for 100000 under the purchase price. Wow. And that's because the buyer thought it was prudent to buy two condos with a quarter million dollar down payment on each Oof. and had to offload both. And this, this buyer came in, got that uh, $1.2 million condo at a hundred K discount. And had they sold anywhere up over the last seven, up until the last six, seven months, they would have made a very tidy profit. So yes, there's opportunity here. Yes, there's pain here. Uh, it really depends what sides you're on, but again, be diligent, be smart. That's the zero sum game, right? Uh, all right, let's touch on Alberta because, honestly speaking, Alberta might be the one surprising province out of all provinces here, um, maybe outside of the inventory story in Vancouver. Uh, Calgary sales were actually up 1.5% month over month and well above the 10-year average, like by almost 50%. Uh, condos are definitely leading the way with sales up 20% year over year. Investors from BC and Ontario... They're definitely ones looking to capitalize, certainly when you're dealing with, you know, Toronto's unaffordability and same with Vancouver. Uh, we've seen this interprovincial migration happen before based on price point affordability and also jobs, right? What's one thing right now that's also ticking up is energy, right? The cost of energy. So raw fuel, uh, you know, the uh, oil and gas sector, Alberta is very strong there, right? But Alberta is also showing a huge tech sector growth as well. A lot of startups, real estate is cheap, so uh, it makes a lot of sense for, for budding businesses. Um, bit of a seller strike taking place in Alberta as well. New listings are at 12-year lows as of last month, and inventory is down 20% from last year. So continuing forward with that story of consumption. Um, this is the second lowest in 10 years, only to 2013. But prices are up 10% year over year. Uh, and this is actually one of the highest for metros in Canada. So Calgary looks to continue its strong position forward as sales uh, outnumber construction inventory by four to one highest on record. And Dan, we know that in time that is going to push price. It has to. 
It will. And of course, Calgary or Alberta as a whole even is quite affordable in comparison to your two major cities being Vancouver and, uh, and Toronto. Big, big uh, exit in, in 2021 and 2022 from Ontario. A lot of people left. I think it was the largest amount they've ever seen exit mm-hmm. that, that's, that province to, to look for cheaper grounds, if you will. And I believe firmly a lot of those went into Alberta uh, again. Lots of jobs available and homes at, you know, 60% less, 50% less, depending on your product. But again, much lower cost of living in a place like Alberta compared to Ontario and BC. Obviously, yes, you deal with other things like the winters and the water. Well, but no lakes or oceans. But uh, again, uh, it, it's it's well, the reality for some people. If you simply cannot afford to live where you are and it makes no sense, of course, you're going to look to other opportunities. And it's and Calgary can be beautiful, too. And, and again... You know, there's there's jobs abound and, and a very very easy standard of living there. Well, you got to think. You know, in Vancouver, you'd pay 1.8 million for you know a home that, honestly speaking, is going to need some work. And in Calgary, you could spend less than half of that on a brand new home. Just as some compar- comparisons, right? So the cost of money to spend. Well, that's it. And, and have a, a, a much healthier income to cost of living ratio than exists in, in both Toronto and Vancouver. Um, anyhow, with that being said, Dan, do we want to touch just briefly on the CPI update? Um, as our friends down in the South have printed, uh, printed a little less, um, they were, uh, down at 7.7%, so down about a half a percent um, from the last inflation print. Again, we're still seeing fuel and food uh, being the um, core items that are pushing the CPI up. Uh, but when you take that out, um, you know, things like Oh, natural gas, electricity. I mean, they, while they rose, they're rising at much lower rates, right? When we look at, um, things like even airfare apparently came down, although I've been looking all over the place and that doesn't seem to be the case. But that being said, month over month, uh, we are seeing this relax. Again, this is positive news. We've seen a very good response from the market as well. Uh, the stock market, that is, everything pointing in the green today. Uh, this is welcome, welcome news. Again, it's not a massive shift downwards. It's not compelling evidence yet that we're anywhere near stability, <clears throat> especially when you look at um, when you look at the core inflation and you still see fuel and food rising. But outside of that, we're starting to see some cracks in the armor. And hopefully, as we continue on into the new year, that will continue to drop. And we know, too, Canada seems to follow them so incredibly close. So I do expect the next announcement, if I remember, is the 16th. It's next week here. We'll do something similar. And a half point down would be pretty substantial. Check in the States data here. One, two, three, four. That's the fifth month in a row. One, two, three. Sorry, fourth month in a row in a downward trend where it, where it peaked there in June at 9.1. So we'll see if Canada emulates it. I think it will. Great place to, I think, wrap it up here. Although, although I love always checking the numbers here on, on uh, real estate um, sold 
numbers here, like the sales that are happening. And because we're, you know, we're, we're on November 10th here, we're a third of the way in here. So where are prices sitting still down a little bit off of last month, but we're not seeing median or average prices drop below that 10% baseline that it's just kind of been bouncing off of for four or five months now. So obviously we keep an eye on that. We'll keep you well updated, but again, Vancouver is so resilient uh, compared to what we're seeing in Toronto specifically uh, down 25% on the median compared to us sitting here at 10% today. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, good news. Good place to wrap it guys. Thanks again for uh, listening this week. Again, just a quick reminder. If you made it this far, please hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, hit the like button. It really helps the algorithm and awesome people like yourselves learn from this crazy real estate market that we are in on that note, Dan, we'll see you guys next week. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver life podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.